This is Film Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it, but they'll know they want it. Again, everyone, welcome into episode 223 of our little podcast here called Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with a bunch of the regular contributors, including Nick Cheney. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello there. Hi. Uh, <laughs> uh, the other voice you hear uh, chuckling in the background is Anna Bodozadu. Hello. Hello, and welcome in. It's so great to have you. So here. great to be back. Yeah, not in this physical location. <laughs> <laughs> and our friend Tucson Egan has made his triumphant return. What's up? <laughs> All right. He was welcome very game Tucson. when we told him he didn't have to leave his house. <laughs> I really was, actually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If he can just keep playing video games and then you know offer something every few minutes, totally fine. What? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's doing that for the virus. Yeah. Sure. You bet. So. Um. So. We A lot are. Of things have happened. Yes, I was going to say, we are, this is our first episode we're ever doing um, over Skype, as we have always, for every single previous 222 episodes, recorded this in our physical studio, and do it a little differently than most people who podcast, but uh, we decided, uh, not necessarily because we wanted to, but because we had to, uh, to do this episode over Skype, which is perfect because there are two things going on. One, we're going to be doing this episode while we are in the middle, uh, and who knows if it's the early stages or the middle stages or the late stages. Uh, nobody really knows at this point, but we are in the middle of the COVID-19 or coronavirus crisis that is currently going on. Uh, and people in general... Uh, are under shelter at home rules right now in the United States. Uh, at least in the state of Illinois, uh, people are not supposed to leave their homes uh, as the COVID-19 virus is just starting to really take a full stranglehold on a lot of places, especially in the United States. So in addition to all that going on, and we'll be talking more about that throughout the episode, uh, this was a perfect time for us to do an episode on the 2011 film Contagion, uh, which was directed by Steven Soderbergh, 
and surrounds a worldwide pandemic. Um, so I guess I'll ask a question of just the group before we get started. Um, what's your experience been like over the last couple weeks? Uh, you know, I think most people have been aware that coronavirus is a thing probably since at least the end of January. Uh, it's been slowly building, but for everyone who's at least around our, our age, we have memories of H1N1, of SARS, uh, these potential pandemics. I know H1N1 did officially become a pandemic, but we have memories of these events happening, and they are were certainly nothing like this affecting our lives and affecting the amount of people that it has in the United States, at least currently. So what has everyone's life been like for the last couple of weeks? And, um, you know, just give a quick mention of uh, what's been going on with you surrounding this and this um, really unique and uh, also scary time. Can I go first? Sure, man. Go ahead. Um, so I'm in the middle of grad school right now. I'm like, I just finished up my penultimate quarter. I'm entering into my last quarter and uh, my last week of finals for um, for my, my last quarter uh, just finished up um, right before um, Illinois decided to um, shut down all businesses and my school decided to move from all on-campus classes to all online. So that's how my life is affected right now. Um, I'm supposed to be working as a graduate TA assistant. So um, I, I think there was some paperwork that was like mixed up like last week when I submitted it and like we're trying to get that sorted out. But um, right now I'm just anchored in front of my, in front of my desk right now, just, um, working away and just getting stuff done as, as best as I can that and playing a shitload of like video games and napping and uh, eating. Yeah. Eating. So, yeah. Very cool. Um, I'll go next. <laughs> go ahead. So, uh, thank you. Um, so since Illinois issued the shelter in place, um, I have been home from work. Um, as we were discussing earlier slash off mic, um, I can't work from home. Like I cannot do my job from home. So at this time, I'm literally just not working and um, trying to bide my time as best as I can. So. Uh, like Toussaint, I've been playing lots of video games and eating and napping. And then uh, the past couple of days, it has been like gorgeous weather. So I've been spending time outside and walking about a mile and a half a day, I think, maybe two. Um, the next few days, it's supposed to rain. So we'll see what we can do there. Uh, might have to fit in some exercise so I don't go totally crazy. Um, and then the other day, I actually did some grocery shopping for like you know necessities and it was it was very eerie going to the grocery store um it like I've been to the store when it's been like quiet but this time it was like 
eerily quiet. And then also the parking lot was like eerily like maybe 5% of cars were in the parking lot and just the absence of, of people and the absence of like normal traffic. It just, it was so eerie. Like even with the um, previous pandemics that Alex mentioned, um, I don't think they've been as close specifically to home as COVID-19 has gotten and like having, you know, run a, a brief stint of errands um, the other day, like to get groceries and then to get gas. It was, it was very, very bizarre. So I'm glad like shelter in place is a thing. Um, so at this point, I'm just looking forward to going back to work and getting paid. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I am very blessed to have a job that uh, is paying its workers. Uh, even though I work in a library and we are closed right now, so I'm doing a lot of uh, teleconferencing and all that, um, and doing virtual desk shifts where I'll answer our community's questions and whatnot through chat or email or all that. Um, but I have had a lot of free time on my hands. I, uh, I've been on the treadmill every day. I've lost three or four pounds. <laughs> um, Congratulations. Oh, thank Woo! you. Yeah, it's been a weird... I even bought a Fitbit just to keep track of it. So um, I rewatched The Irishman, which is no small accomplishment. Um, and I've gotten to the color episodes of Dark Shadows, which is like 290 episodes of a soap opera, if you're counting. So uh, it's it's been a wild ride. And uh, yeah. Oh, and I am definitely uh, playing Animal Crossing to... Uh, soothe the rest of my mind so no the introvert in me sadly is loving this um <laughs> i probably shouldn't say that but it's been wonderful uh mentally uh but also nobody die <laughs> i feel that um alex before yes. you go i just i just i just want to say i should have mentioned my job is non-essential so that's that's what I should have said. Anyway, okay. Onward. I mean, maybe it's just my view on it, but if it's uh, if you're not making medical or in the medical field, or you're not in the uh, food or other essential supplies food, you're not an essential worker. <laughs> so, Pretty much. No, I agree. Yeah. I know a lot of uh, companies are still operating. Even even if they're not actually physically, kind of like Nick was alluding to, at the library, like they're doing other things, or there's teleconferencing, or uh, just doing your best to try to be prepared on the other side of this, which is my company's doing now, and I'm uh, fortunate to still uh, be employed with my workplace and um, doing a lot of a lot of cleanup type things in terms of trying to just be better prepared for when we're on the other side of this and service our customers and work with customers that are still open even though we're technically closed. So it's a very interesting time, but still had things to get me through the day, which is good. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And other than that, I've just been watching a lot of movies and random television, too. I was 
telling uh, Nick and Toussaint last night that my wife and I have started watching a lot of the uh, Steve Harvey Family Feud episodes, which are not good. Um, uh, and I mean, they're, they're fun to watch, but they're not necessarily what you would call good entertainment. It's really the first like half of the episode is just Steve Harvey attempting to make these just terrible jokes. And it's pretty fascinating because it's every so episode funny. is pretty much the, That's yeah. the Steve Harvey in general. Yeah. In my opinion. But every episode um, is the exact same. It's um, it's 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 pretty incredible that we've watched like eight episodes at this point because it's literally the same thing on every single episode, just with different family names. Yeah, but there's a narrative arc going on in uh, as far as like, the psychological headspace that Steve Harvey is in. <laughs> oh, shut the fuck up! Uh... It's so funny that you mentioned that, Alex, because, like, I love watching the reruns with Steve Harvey, but I will say my preferred host is uh, Richard... Um, oh, Richard I think Dawson? No, Richard Karn from Home Improvement. Oh. I hope that's the person I'm thinking of. I preferred him as the host. Uh, so. They've had all kinds of hosts over the years, whether it's... I, I think Louis Anderson was a host for a while. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Are you yeah. serious? I've never seen those reruns. Yeah, I think Louie was kind of short-lived in the echelon of Family Feud hosts. Um, <laughs> but I definitely grew up with uh, the guy from Home Improvement and Louie uh, Anderson when I was a child, yeah. That's so funny. Oh my gosh, I've uh, never seen them. Okay. If you can ever catch the old episodes with Richard Dawson as the host, I mean, this is from 70s, 80s. Uh, I think I've seen those when, when the tint of the episode is like gold. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Okay. He he literally kissed every woman who he thought was attractive on the lips, and they were delighted. Oh, so that was great. Oh yeah. Well, oh, my God. That was a good time. No. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Nick. That's so gross. Uh, so so uh, pivoting away from game shows. Uh, and moving on to the uh, Although that's basically film. how our government's treating this virus. Okay, I'm turning off the mic. Hello! <laughs> well, you're not really wrong. Uh, so the, the film we are discussing is 2011's Contagion, which was directed by Steven Soderbergh uh, and written by Scott C. Burns. Uh, Scott C. Burns, who just, uh, I think, directed... Um, film the last year called the report yep, yep. Uh, the one with adam driver that i thought was pretty good um but he's a previous Soderbergh contributor and he was the writer for this uh and this film um perfectly for right now surrounds healthcare professionals government officials and everyday people who find themselves in the midst of a pandemic as the cdc works to find a cure so this film stars uh, Matt Damon, also Kate Winslet and Jude Law, and features all kinds of people throughout the film, although some of them come and go, uh, including Gwyneth Paltrow, and also, sorry, I should be more prepared than this, John Hawks is on here, there's a lot of people in this cast, I'm just trying to go through everybody. Uh, Elliot Gould, Brian Cranston, and I, uh, Marion Cotillard, and I'm missing, oh, Lawrence Fishburne is the one I was thinking of, 
uh, who I'd miss. But there are people, a lot of names throughout this film, some of whom die early on, some of whom are involved in different parts of the film. Uh, but there's a lot going on throughout this. And uh, maybe not surprisingly, but this film uh, on IMDb is currently the most popular film in the world. So there you go. Uh, so It's time to finally come. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I saw this in the theater in 2011. So I thought this was uh, quite good. And I guess I'll go first uh, since I'm telling everybody about what this is. Uh, I've always thought that this was a good film. And I honestly, um, even though thought it always seemed eerily plausible, which uh, since this has obviously gained a lot of more popularity here recently, uh, so people have been doing interviews. I don't know if Soderbergh's done any. I'm guessing he probably has. But I know Scott Z. Burns and other people who were involved with this have done interviews um, within the last couple months on this film and they worked with people who actually are ophthalmologists and uh, people who study these type of potential pandemics and what they could look like and what the different parts of it are and you know the trying to eliminate it phase and the mitigation phase and all that so you know they did the they did their homework and their due dil- their due diligence on this um, working on this film and um, I, I honestly never thought about being able to compare this to a real life situation but here we are um, and even though this film pretty much goes from start to finish in terms of when the whole event starts and begins to unravel and then when it reaches a conclusion obviously we're however long, long away from whatever that conclusion is whether it's a vaccine or uh, treatment or better testing and care or, you know, wherever we end up with this, that ultimately leads this to no longer be a pandemic. But um, it, it's crazy to me to be able to compare this into what's going on real time with our lives. And, you know, I guess my brain keeps going to say, this is, what they did in this film, but this is what's actually happening in the world. And I mean, there are so many differences. Uh, the virus in Contagion, which is called MEV1, kills 25 to 30% of the people who get it. And millions are dead within the first month that this is going on. And, and it is obviously explodes much faster than COVID-19 has. Um, but at the same time, I feel like this film does a pretty great job uh, showing the different aspects of human life that happened throughout this and how quickly something like this can occur. And um, I feel like it also does a really good job weaving the different places together, whether it be the regular people like Matt Damon's character or uh, Kate Winslet's character of Dr. Mears, who's the CDC representative who's trying to just fight fires on the front line um, you have the WHO involved with Marion Cotillard's character. And, and there's so much going on in terms of investigating how this happened and where we're going from this. But I, I guess my biggest critique of this film, uh, especially with uh, the coronavirus currently going on, is that I feel like going back and watching this, um, 
there really isn't much time spent on how this actually impacts people's lives other than our main characters who are just either employees who work with the actual virus itself or um, people who had family members die in the very early on stages of it. So, and it is a very good film and you couldn't cover everything. Um, but, you know, we don't see anything about people having social distancing affecting their regular lives or um, um, other than... Even throw the prom for his daughter. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty social distancing. I thought it yeah. was... Yeah, but I think Matt Damon did that after he figured out him and his daughter were immune, and then the reason mm -hmm. that that problem even happened is because her date had gotten vaccinated. Yeah, and the they, they had gotten the vaccinations, but society had not yet um, cohered back into a semblance of what we could call normality. Um, but, no, continue, Alex. Yeah, I... Um, just to close up my early remarks, uh, I think this film is actually very, very good. And I think it holds up really well with what's currently going on because it does go over all of the things that people now are just figuring out, whether it be what an R not is, or also, you know, what, what is the, the spread? What is community spread? What is social distancing? All these terms and uh, these things are mentioned throughout the film. Um, and it is still just a Hollywood film that is an hour and 45 minutes long and it moves along quite well. I will say um, Jude Law's character of Alan Crumwitty is someone who I kind of didn't care too much about watching this before the coronavirus became a thing. But now watching him, um, he's not a perfect one-to-one, -one, but just having that one character be the stand-in for the media as a whole, and, and this is kind of in the age when Twitter was not at all what it is now in 2011. So he talks about the idea blog. of... Yeah, he's, he's talking about blogs, and I want, and one guy says, I want if I could put your computer in a prison, I would, like very basic nonsensical shit that you know people who have no idea about the internet would say um but his his character is, is very interesting because i mean he's fitting a lot of the criteria that we see from the internet as a whole now of a guy who's trying to peddle a potential cure that may not be a cure at all in fact it almost certainly isn't and he's trying to bring down people who are actually trying to do the good work and have the story be about them and not be about all this great work they're doing to try to develop a vaccine. Also, too, in this movie, I'll say one thing, uh, actually living through, through this, they develop and have the vaccine in public supply within four months, which obviously is totally bullshit. So that's an interesting little side detail, which makes the people in this film seem like geniuses. Uh, but at the same time, Jude Law's character, who I've always, you know, been okay with and, and liked, uh, I've been way more interested in watching it back here recently because I feel like he is a pretty good stand-in for the actual media and this idea of trying to stir the pot instead of actually be helpful. I'm not saying that all media people would do that because I think a lot of people 
in the media have been doing really good work trying and actually feel like there's been better journalism done in terms of like the national level in the last two months than has been over a long period of time as we've been this really weird time with the current administration. But um, there's just a lot of fascinating parts of this movie and I'm a fan. So I kind of talked a lot there, so I will uh, move it on to whoever wants to go next. Uh, who wants to go next? Sounds like you do, Tucson. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so we've covered uh, Steven Soderbergh films on this podcast before. I've watched a couple of them. Uh, I'm not as big of a of Steven Soderbergh head as uh, perhaps uh, Nick and Alex are, but I do appreciate his films, even if I don't necessarily gravitate to them all the time. So I've been aware of uh, Contagion for a while now. It's like a couple of years. Like I've always heard like cropping up like it being a, a a really good pandemic sort of film but i never really had the urge to like watch it and so uh yesterday was actually uh the first time i've ever just sat down and actually watched the film and i think it's fantastic i think it's uh a really taut well-placed like pandemic thriller that just like um leapfrogs across the world and like shows and tries to trace the uh the origin point of this entire um, what's it called again? Uh, Alex, what's it called? Uh, the actual virus in the film is referred to as MEV1. MEV1, thank you. Yeah, the MEV1 virus. Uh, it, what really stuck out to me, uh, besides just like the, the great performances by everybody involved, was just how much hearing the same sort of, uh, like, the same, the, the same sort of advice and the same sort of like uh, directions that I'm hearing right now and related to the like, coronavirus when they're talking about social distancing, when they're talking about fomites, when they're talking about uh, R-naughts, when they're talking about um, just all these different things that they were trying to address with, with regards to the virus. Like it, it didn't uh, worry me. If anything, it just sort of felt uncanny. Like, oh, Oh, that's really interesting. Um, I'll have to disagree a little bit about the character for for Jude Law. I liked that character, not so much that I liked the person that that character was, but I liked the character in that I did not feel that he represented the media because, like, in the actual like like film itself, like he is just an outlier. He's a he's a a muckraker. He's a, a yellow journalist, um, basically using his 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 like considerable platform on Twitter and the blogosphere in order to basically not only deride his fellow colleagues but also the CDC. Um, oh no, he's it, he he's he's absolutely a war profiteer. Yeah, uh, he in, is. in this film and I, I feel like what I was what I was trying to get and I guess I'll clarify a little bit is that I feel like He's a good comparison for now because I feel like there's a lot of people who are taking advantage of this situation uh, and trying to peddle whatever their agenda is and weave that in, which is the same thing that he's doing. Yeah. And, you know, he, he goes from this guy who couldn't even get a, a discussion with a local newspaper um, and who becomes, you know, this person who's somehow months, two months later is on a talk show with the head of the CDC and pretty much undressing him on the talk show, which is, uh, you know, pretty much what those people do have gotcha yeah. questions that are, 
uh, not really providing any positive um, information to anybody. Yeah, the, yeah. The, there's there's a proliferance of, of hucksters nowadays who are just sort of swimming in this in this in this moment and just trying to like come out on top. And it's really disgusting and unsettling. Like for um, uh, for Jude Law, who's basically uh, for Sifereth, the, uh, the the placebo treatment that he's basically just uh, shepherding around and like ha having him actually talk to one of the executives like in the park before he's actually like um, detained and surged upon by the people who are like doing a sting operation on him and how he says that he just doesn't give a fuck. I'm just like, man, you are, uh, uh, if it weren't for the fact that all these people were dying of this, of this, uh, this pandemic and the fact that the pandemic uh, is, is taking, uh, the lead in everybody's mind, like you would maybe go down as one of history's greatest villains just for the circumstances that you are, uh, that you are, are, are bending to your benefit. You were saying, you were saying, uh, Nick or Alex? Oh, I was just saying about the, uh, the one scene with, uh, him when he's actually on a talk show with the CDC representative. It's, that is something that we're seeing today as far as like the dangers of creating a false equilibrium of, you know, posting up two viewpoints that are in no way equal, but when broadcasted on a national stage, it becomes basically deadly uh, with its consequences. And we're kind of seeing that right now with certain uh, medications and things that even Trump is saying is like a home cure that we know for a fact is not, and now we even have news reports of people dying because they like chugged it or something if they found it in their house, so... Yeah, no, that character has become scarily revel, uh, relevant. Yeah, it's it's just uh, oh, it's re it's really unsettling. Um, but returning sort of back to the to the movie itself, like I think the way that it's shot, I think the color grading, I think that the score, I think that the performances on part of uh, Matt Damon and uh, Lawrence Fishburne are excellent. I just think that it's uh, also uh, Marion Cotillard. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name uh, correctly, but like uh, um, her character sucks. I'm sorry. I'm just going to come around and say it. I, like, I, I, it maybe not her character, but that storyline blows. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just sort of uh, it just sort of hangs there. But I was actually just pleasantly surprised just to see her because, like, until um, like recently, like I had only known her from like The Dark Knight Rises, though. So. Oh well, yeah. th this was this was her time to shine because this was right after she had won her Oscar. So she was living it up, and she was in a lot of things in this era from like 2010 to 2013. So that's true. This was like her. I I agree with you, Alex. She was in a lot of movies around this time. So this was like kind of really good for her career. Um, yeah. Just and, so and, Oh yeah, go ahead, Tucson. Sorry, man. Yeah, just to sort of uh, wrap up my initial thoughts, like I think that of of all the scenes in the film that I really enjoyed, like I, I hate to sound like a like a cliche, but the ending, um, the sort of ending montage that sort of seamlessly like flash back to the very beginning of the entire pandemic, it just sort of. It's going to sound really fucking weird, but it sort of reminded me of an episode of 
the wild thornberries where it just shows like the the chain reaction of how like human intervention can just completely fuck over an ecosystem only in this regard it's like how the intervention of like human of, of human interaction can just inevitably lead to the downfall or, or the, the seizure of of human civilization at large like they were just mowing down mowing well, down banana banana trees and oh my god go ahead alex oh i was just gonna say there's multiple things that happened there so obviously it's her companies that's going through and plowing down these fields that causes that bat to fly away into the pig farm or whatever but on the other side of it it's such a small thing of how this all transpired the way it did where the guy who's the chef before he goes out after handling the pig he doesn't wash his hands he just wipes it off on himself and then he's holding this you know Gwyneth Paltrow's hands as they are taking a photo together and that's where it all started in 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 reality unfortunately um that's how all these kind of things start right i mean they're just they're just these small little things that if you knew what was happening when it was happening you could contain it but once it spreads there's no way to control it yeah anna you were were about to say something yes it's just funny that no the that's okay. It's just so funny that you brought up the this the thing from the wild thornberries because I remember that episode very clearly as well. You know what you're talking about, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. It was, it was like how they they showed like um even like metamorphosis of the larva doesn't occur at the time that it should and it's uh, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I totally remember that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very good episode. Very, very uh, relevant to uh, to what we're talking about right now. Um, but yeah, I'm, that, that, those are my initial thoughts on Contagion. Um, I'll go next. So um, I first watched this movie not too long after it came out in 2011 or 2012. Um, I remember I loved it at the time. Uh, and then upon this viewing for this episode, um, I still love it. I think it's great. I also as well love Steven Soderbergh. So um, I loved the soundtrack. He is, uh, he sets up the tone like pretty perfectly. And this movie also doesn't waste any time. Um, I will say that I think out of all of the characters, I liked um, Kate Winslet's the most, and then also uh, Dr. Hextall, um, the doctor that works closest with Dimitri Martin and ends up testing the vaccine on herself. To me, I think Dr. Hextall just steals this whole film. Um, And even with news of course of the coronavirus happening around us in real time i did think about this film and when we got to the scenes in the film where people are in line at the pharmacy and the pharmacy announces to the people waiting in line that there isn't enough uh supply to go around it it riots um and people are breaking windows, they're setting fires to places, 
me personally, an optimist, I don't think that is going to happen to us. But in the context of this film, it makes total sense why those things were happening. So that's that's kind of a fear that I had in the back of my mind. Ideally, we're not going to have to live through that. Um, if people get sent back to work and are forced back to work in the middle of a pandemic, I'm just of the attitude that uh, this administration is going to, uh, quote unquote, fuck around and find out uh, how how far you can actually push people until they push back. Like, that's just my opinion on it. And I don't think that opinion is wrong either, Toussaint. So, I mean, the fact that, um, like, I mean, you know, that also opens up the case of politics and then those of us that aren't working or cannot work from home but still have their jobs, um, how it basically affects um, everyone. Like, uh, just like we were talking about earlier, I, we all know a handful of people that have lost their jobs in previously very lucrative in industries. But anyway, um, so um, also talking about Jude Law's character, um, I um, I liked his character. I also think it's so funny how they specifically made him up to have crooked front teeth because his teeth don't look like that in real life but they made his teeth look like this for the character which I thought was interesting yeah, he, had to, he, had, he, he had to have like Austin Powers teeth which is kind of weird it is yeah I, I thought that was interesting that they did that with his character um, Kate Winslet looks like how she looks in most films where um, she's basically just wearing a jacket and doing her thing um, but I thought that was interesting that they did that for Jude Law and the reason I say that I like his character is because I think he is the epitome of a conspiracy theorist that people like to latch onto, so to speak, in terms of any sort of um, crisis. Um, so I think his character makes makes total sense. Um, I I liked all of the setup. Um, the part where um, Kate Winslet's character ends up dying actually is the part of the film that affected me the most. Um, I actually totally forgot that Gwyneth, Paltr Gwyneth Paltrow dies very, very early on in this film. It's like, I think within the first 12, 11 minutes is that we find out that she's dead. Um, but yeah, uh, first thoughts, initial thoughts, excuse me. Um, I love this movie and I think it's great. And after reading about it some more, um, at the time when this film came out, it was praised for its uh, scientific portrayals and accuracy, which I think is a huge compliment to, um, from any respective industry to a film like this. Yeah, so um, it's funny you say that, Anna, because when this movie did come out, uh, there were some interviews with Soderbergh and maybe even Scott C. Burns, the writer. Um, but I believe Soderbergh said uh, to an outlet when they asked, like, what was the craziest thing that you heard when you were interviewing CDC and whatnot people? And, like, what's the most alarming thing? And he said that they every single person he talked to, no matter what department, said that we're due for one. <laughs> so that was in 2011, and obviously they were right. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of scary. Um, yeah, no, I'm As in, it, as oh. in we're due a 
for a pandemic? Yeah, like at the time, you know, when he was researching a pandemic like this for this kind of script, one that actually, you know, drastically alters the infrastructure of the nation, even if temporarily, um, they were like, yeah, the, the, you know, the most alarming thing is that what you're saying is not fiction. It's something that basically... Sh- by nature should happen every 20 or so or whatever but so they all said that yeah uh we're due for one any day now and so eight oh years later or, that's, yes that's shocking to me so. oh my god it's it's, it's i it, it's not like that episode of the office where uh what's his name dwight is like oh there's too many people we need a new plague it's like i think it's more of like uh, a pandemic is a naturally occurring symptom of a globalized like human civilization that is constantly exchanging like goods and services and like just regular like interaction on a global scale like it's going to happen absolutely these viruses yeah, yeah no, they weren't trying like, to advocate for a death panel. They were, they were yeah. just explicitly stating, like, the fact that we haven't had one in so long is what's worrisome. Right. It's it's like saying that we're due for another economic recession or depression or something like that. It's not advocating for it. It's just saying that, like, I don't know, the arc of history, like, it moves, like, in, in rhythms, you know? Like, it just happens. Yeah, and well, unlike the, the stock market, too. there's a science to this. <laughs> so, I mean, the other thing that's crazy about it is that, like, the odds of these kind of viruses or, or you know, illnesses or whatever happening are are really low, but that's, that's why they only happen every once in a while, and you know, like with H1N1 or, you know, where something could be really not as deadly. So it, it you know, becomes a pandemic as H1N1 definitely was. I mean, millions of people got it. Uh, but at the same time, it, it just takes the right combination to happen together, just like happened in this film, just like uh, assuming happened with COVID-19. And then you and the other thing about it, too, is that something that is definitely happens throughout this film um, and is certainly happening right now is the politics of this, of people trying to not be involved with blame uh, for what's going on. When in reality, I mean, at this point, there, there's no there should this this is you know, there's not some person that made this happen like. Like we're just trying to have the betterment of humanity and save as many people as we can, and should be no time for any government or country to be trying to blame or reflect or deflect blame or anything like that. So it's it's um it's crazy how that happens, even though if it's small in the film, uh, it's definitely there. It's definitely present in this current situation that we're in. Yeah, for sure. Um... Yeah, so I guess I'll give my kind of opening thoughts. I, I obviously I love this movie. I'm a huge Steven Soderbergh fan. Uh, pretty much love everything he does, and I think this is uh, almost in the top tier of Soderbergh. Really, the only thing that I hold against it is what Alex alluded to earlier, which is the uh, Marion Cotillard storyline. She's fine, but. Um, 
there's exactly maybe four scenes with her in it, and it's too sensational to truly convey in those maybe ten minutes or less screen time that she gets, uh, especially when it hints at a broader view that the movie could take when, uh, you know, going as far as to depict, like, global relations, which, you know, we're seeing in our own current timeline, um, but it takes the road usually traveled, and it doesn't even really expand upon it for any meaningful reason. Uh, but other than that, though, I think everything else in this movie is fantastic. I think the whole cast, obviously, is amazing. It's one of his best assembled casts, and I love that between this and the informant, uh, when Soderbergh adapts a Scott C. Burns uh, movie, that he always puts uh, comedians in these uh, kind of higher up roles, whether it's like Paul F. Tompkins or uh, Pat Oswalt showing up as executive lawyers in The Informant, or here Dimitri Martin working uh, on a cure. And I always feel like that just kind of pokes fun at the absurdity of everything, which is that, like, you know, at the end of the day, we're. <laughs> There's really no difference than someone who takes their job seriously and someone who uh, is kind of shouldering uh, the burden of the entire collective world because that's uh, kind of a tragic comedy in and of itself. But um, I, I think the whole movie is fantastic. I absolutely love the pacing of it. Uh, as Toussaint talked about the ending montage, I always love seeing that whenever that comes up. It's so wonderfully edited that it almost feels like an ellipsis that loops back to uh, the beginning of the movie, not just in referencing the scene we've already, the scenes we've already seen, but also in the way that it kind of feels like this is cyclical in nature, which is kind of what the experts say that, as we just talked about, that pandemics pretty much are, which is that you know this has all happened before and it will all happen again. Um, there are so many great little moments here. I'll give a shout out to one of my personal favorite subplots, which is the one with John Hawks, and he probably has just as much screen time as Marion Cotillard, but his story arc is so much more uh, minuscule as far as like the it doesn't have the global stakes or implication. It just has the emotional stakes uh, between him and his family, and it's so wonderfully set up in so few scenes that by the time you get the payoff with Lawrence Fishburne giving him, uh, his son, uh, the vaccine, uh, it's just a wonderful capper because at the end of the day, there's so many things about this kind of top-down view of how people, uh, you know, work inside to f fight the ultimate, you know, enemy, which is an uncontrollable one, like a pandemic, but uh, there are still human lives at stake. Real, yeah. Real, real quick, Nick, if I can jump in. Yeah. So that scene towards the end of the film where uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character is giving John Hawk's son uh, the vaccine, um, I love the end of that scene when they shake hands. Just It's not even the explanation of what shaking hands means, but just in... The idea of social distancing, uh, and even though it's not really shown in the film, I think it's a great capper uh, on this film as a whole of this idea of we can go back to being this civilization that we previously were now, and we can, you know, we can 
accept each other and we can greet each other. Um, I love that. I also love the scene right before that. It's the last Marin Cotier scene in the airport when people are waiting for airplanes and they're all wearing masks or whatever. And the guy drops something and another gentleman just picks it up just because that's what good people do. Um, you know, I love little things like that to crack yeah. through because th- th- those are positive things because it's just humanity trying to be good to each other, even through all of this shit that's going on. Yeah. And those little gestures that you're talking about kind of, uh, almost imply that, you know, what gets us into these kind of situations is also can be what gets us through these situations as far as like, yeah, we all are human at the end of the day. So we might make mistakes, but we're also going to look out for one another and whatnot. Um, and, you know, another quick comment, too, about the Lawrence Fishburne scene with John Hawks. And it's funny because now that we're living through this, obviously the whole concept of social distancing uh, makes that scene, in my opinion at least, uh, even more poignant. But there's also a wonderful capper to the way Soderbergh was uh, blocking their scenes up until that point. Uh, if you kind of remember, they're they're almost always talking at a distance, whether it's like uh, across a parking garage or almost in the doorway of or through the doorway of an office. And I feel like that's truly like a bridge extended of uh, you know two people realizing that they're equals and um, maybe not in a capitalistic society, but at least as human beings um, that they're in this together. And uh, you know that division is only there because they were putting it there, but. I agree, though, in, in these times, obviously, it has a whole other layer uh, to see a moment like that be expressed uh, amidst all that kind of uh, viral pandemic. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have any more opening thoughts other than just I think it's a fantastic movie, and it's just so elegantly paced together. I think no one really does that kind of mosaic, top-down, bureaucratic uh you know, script like Soderbergh does. And I know Scott Z. Burns wrote it, um, but I think Soderbergh is, I think he kind of saves a script like this in the editing booth, which is to say that the script is good, but if you don't have someone to actually assemble the puzzle, then uh, the pieces don't really mean anything. And I think Soderbergh absolutely uh, shines here while doing that. I agree, yeah. This was a really really good film like i don't i it makes me want to watch more steven soderbergh films not to say that i haven't watched any steven soderbergh films but it's just like like he's just really good at what he does and i want to i'd like maybe i'll just take this time in uh in quarantine to uh to hunt down a couple of the rest of his titles because yeah this was this was good hit me up and i'll give you the recommendations you know um, it. <laughs> I agree with Toussaint as well. It makes me want to watch um, more Soderbergh, Soderbergh films as well because I know when he made his quote-unquote return to film, I didn't see a lot of them. So, um, yeah. Well, he's really only been back for three years now. I mean, he was retired for... I mean, the whole retirement thing was kind of a sham to begin with, but he was retired, and then since he's been back, I think he's already made three films in the last three years, because he did, um, Nick obviously would know 
better than I of everything. But yeah, he did. He did. Insane uh, high flying bird in the laundromat so far. Oh, oh wow! And Logan Lucky too. Oh, was that yeah, we post were doing the same track. Yeah. What's that? We reviewed Unsane, correct? We did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember that we did that episode. It was a good episode. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, one thing I definitely wanted to mention, uh, just as a general comment about this film, uh, is that I feel like one thing that um, I guess they just would have not known uh, at all uh, would be kind of how, and I, I guess I did hit on this a little bit previously, but just how the public reaction to this would be, because I feel like people are going about their regular lives in this film. Like, they're still going to work, they're still waiting in line to get on an airplane, they're still... And I, I know we have the scenes when it hits its peak, when people are looting and, and stealing from each other uh, and breaking into people's houses, which is absolutely terrifying. And something in reality I am scared of because, uh, uh, you know, you saw all the stories probably about a week ago of lines being, you know, out the down the street for people trying to buy guns, which is frightening. Um, but it seems like everyday life is really not disturbed uh, in terms of people doing their jobs in this, which I feel like uh, now looking at it, maybe we'll be on the other side of this and this will just be a short, you know, two to six week time period. But um, I feel like that's something that maybe the filmmakers could have never known that you have to go that far if you want to even have a chance to slow this down and spread this out for a longer period of time. Um, that is a good point that you bring that up because I feel like it goes straight from the, um, like people get it, they start dying and then once media announcements began, there was one mention of social distancing. And then we see, like, kind of the mayhem start. So, um, yeah, people really st- people are pretty much only staying in their homes if they think that they have to. Otherwise, you're right, they just are kind of going about it, 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 themselves. It, it is inconsistent. It is inconsistent because we see like San Francisco, there's garbage all over the street and people are just mess trying to get Forsythia or any other home remedies to try to um, help themselves, which is pretty much just shaking magic rocks together uh, at that point. But Well, they do say in the movie that certain cities are under quarantine, which I think is obviously alluded to by the depictions of, like, San Francisco and whatnot. And honestly, that's not that far off from what we're seeing today, which is, like, we are thankfully in Illinois where our governor has shut us down, but there are quite a few states that haven't uh, gone the full nine yards to actually, you know, shut it down. And it's mostly due to a lack of federal guidance 
uh, you know, to actually sternly say that that's what we should be doing. But that's the thing about, you know, states versus federal level is that everybody gets to make their own call. So um, while I do think that it may look a little lax, I, I don't think it's completely out of the realm of even what we're experiencing now because... Uh, as someone who has, like, online friends, uh, you know, uh, scattered across, well, I guess the entire globe, actually, uh, when I, I always kind of forget, because I'll be like, yeah, we're in lockdown, and and then they'll be like, oh, no, we're not, and I'm like, oh, yeah, where are you again, and then, you know, I'm kind of reminded that not everywhere is uh, doing the same thing, and that's kind of what's creating the current chaos that we're living in, so it's just a different uh, look to it. Agree. Yeah. Right on. That's a uh, that's a good take. <laughs> Certainly uh, different from what I was saying, but you're 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 right there, pretty much, Nick. So good stuff. Um. Yeah. Um. So really, the only time we have any flashbacks I remember in this film is really with Gwyneth Paltrow's character, which makes sense because she does die about twelve minutes into this movie. Um, so, but I thought that was interesting that that was to use her character and tell that story because really this film's main storylines are only concerned with what's going on with the virus other than Matt Damon and Gwyneth Baltrow's character, where we get a lot of very, um, well done character detail. I thought as we find out about Matt Damon's previous child from his previous marriage, Gwyneth Paltrow's previous child from her previous marriage. Um, and then we have them together. And then we have this storyline, which um, actually is pretty fantastic, which feels like it would be something out of a soap opera to me, but um, works so well in this film, which is the idea of her having a layover in Chicago and, um, Sleeping with the guy who's actually voiced by Steven Soderbergh, which is interesting. Only on the uh, phone, and, though, which is weird. Because then when you actually well, yeah. meet him, then it's someone else. And I'm like, that's weird. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but still, um, A, it's great for spreading the virus around to a different location other than in Minnesota. But at the same time, um, it does really create this very difficult and horrible position for Matt Damon to be in, which we don't spend too much time on, but the time we do spend on, I think is actually great because he's trying to deal with the loss of his wife and his stepson, and at the same time, he's also got to grapple with this idea that well, also, I found out that she was cheating on me, and I also tried to save his daughter, and there's so much going on with his character and in general, he just seems like a nice, run-of-the-mill guy who just is trying to be a good person. And um, you know, it's it's an interesting, especially in an ensemble film, uh, it's interesting that we get to spend some time with him and having these really just uncomfortable scenes. Uh, but at the same time, he seems to always be trying his best to just be a good father and a good guy. The moment when he uh, is talking to the doctor after his... Uh, wife is taken to the hospital and his, the doctor tries to calmly tell him that his wife died and that he just he's, he's in such a, a state of shock that he just asks to go see his wife not really processing the fact that she has just died was probably one of the most heartbreaking and relatable things that 
I, it's probably one of the most heartbreaking and relatable performances I've ever seen Matt Damon deliver, honestly. Uh, it just, like, he, he's just like, no, I just, I literally just saw her. Like, we just had pizza and we just sat down. I was like, yeah, that was, uh, that was top tier on his behalf. Um, I agree with you, Toussaint. Um, that was definitely an element of the film that I really enjoyed seeing um that particular scene and then when the doctors repeat themselves it's like you see matt damon just five stages of grief like immediately and he's so unhappy um so yeah i totally agree with you yeah the other thing about matt damon's the other scene of his at least i think is great is the funeral par- funeral parlors scene because He's got to have a really terrible conversation with a guy who is just trying to deal with the liability of his job. And he's like, we're not taking those bodies. And I got to tell you, I am sure that that's going to be a real thing at some point, whether it's just maybe not the same exact thing where they don't want the virus. But there is a chance that funeral parlors should just not have the capacity or can't hold funerals for people because of social distancing so you have to go discuss that then with your your mother-in-law and let her know that, yeah, sorry, you can't have a funeral because this shit. And um, that was a great scene to include in this film. And I, I, even though it's minor and brief, um, it, it really hit home for me, not necessarily because I have had a lot of people that have passed away, but at the same time, like... That felt authentic. It felt like something that you could actually have a discussion on and have to deliver the message to your to someone's mom to say, I'm sorry, but they're just not going to take the bodies. Yeah, that felt um, eerily plausible, if not maybe... As, as cynical as it sounds, like almost maybe inevitable when it comes to liability, it was um, like there's just like a human cost behind beyond just mortality rates, but also just how it how it rips through society and all like the the practices that we've built around just the regarding the the preservation of life and the celebration of life and like the the, the mourning process, like it, that that felt real. Well, and especially later on in the film, uh, we, we see literal mass graves of people just getting dumped in by, you know, full-on just heavy machinery, just picking up uh, enormous amounts of bodies and just dumping them in the mass graves uh, that have been created. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not there yet, but boy, it feels like that could be a reality. And that is... Um, the other thing about that scene that is so unfortunately wonderful is that that's in like a regular area in a somewhat suburban setting. You know, it's not in the middle of the desert during a war or something like that. Like there's a mass grave in downtown Minneapolis and it's like, oh shit. Oh, you betcha. <laughs> um, I agree with you, Alex. Um, that entire area did seem very normal, especially since 
a couple scenes prior, they were basically setting up shop in like a minor league basketball arena or something. Yeah, I mean, is uh, it, it's. Un, un, I mean, if you look at the temporary hospitals that are set up, at least the ones that happened uh, in China when this all started, um, that's what they look like. They're just regular places or temporary places that are set up, and it's um, it's uh, it's scary because it, it's it it feels it feels real now. Like it feels like. The idea of just hundreds of people in cots. I mean, we've seen it before, like during like Hurricane Katrina, where you had so many people displaced because their homes were destroyed. And so you had places like the Superdome in New Orleans that are just holding on to all these people. But I just saw that um, earlier today, actually, that the United Center in Chicago is going to apparently be a temporary facility. I don't know if it's going to be for housing or for is to be a medical area, but um, I saw that that's going to be available for people to go to, which, um, you know, feels like it's becoming all too real of this idea of, you know, looking for medical care and ending up in a college basketball arena or a NBA basketball arena where it's like, this is where I'm going to hopefully not die on a cot and hoping that they have oxygen for me is um, unfortunately feeling very authentic. Well, it's all I can say is it's, it's about time because the Bulls haven't been using it since the 90s. I was actually going to bring that up to Alex and I believe the United Center is going to be used to like distribute supplies i don't know if it's okay. going to be a hub for like medical beds per se but right now they're setting it setting out so people can like get things as they need from what i understood and, and and so that certainly is different but still obviously not the intended use for that facility so that's very interesting yeah for sure Who wants to skip to final ratings? Sounds like you do. Yes. Yes, I do. Because <laughs> I am excited to give my final rating. And that is, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, I actually want to return and actually rewatch it now that we're talking about it again. Um, and explore more uh, Steven Soderbergh films. But yeah, I think that this definitely deserves its status as like a, a peak uh, pandemic film. Like, probably like one of the best if not the best maybe um and i think i would like out of initial viewing i would give it a four out of five like i think that this could definitely build and grow in my appraisal but i just think that from that first viewing it was it, it was excellent okay um i'll go next so um i also give this film four out of five um upon a second much later viewing um my opinion stayed fairly high of this film um i definitely love the the general style of um soderbergh and the way that this story was told um i like how what i should have mentioned earlier um 
I like how the science part of the whole movie, like when the scientists were explaining everything that was happening, um, though it's good that we know it's accurate, I feel like that was pretty digestible to an average quote unquote viewer where it didn't like really go over people's heads, but it also wasn't dumbed down too much to where like a five-year-old could get it, so to speak. So that's something I really appreciated about this film. Um, I also liked, as was mentioned earlier, the humanity of uh, Matt Damon and his character. And then also we see um, the, the flawed parts as well because his wife was unfaithful to him and he found out in a really awful context um and i i just really really like this um i also meant to say that in this same genre of uh pandemic movies i have not seen outbreak but i have like heard the film outbreak mentioned in the context of contagion inside also the context of COVID-19, so I would like to watch that someday. Um, but yeah, four out of five. I think this is great. Um, and I think it's really awesome that this film was made. Yeah, I am going to keep this spreading and also give it a four out of five. Uh, I think this is definitely one of uh, Soderbergh's best efforts um as i alluded to earlier i do think the marion cotillard plot line does stick out like a sore thumb and is really one of the only things that holds me back from like a four and a half out of five but in general i think it's a fantastic movie and for the most part not a minute wasted and it, it's truly one of those movies where while i think it's actually a perfect like running time i would also watch like a six hour version you know it, there's so much you could expand upon and i don't think it necessarily gave anything the short shrift because it is a movie after all i would easily uh, spend more time in this universe with these characters just doing their job and trying to fight uh, the invisible enemy so uh, it's four out of five for me and i think it's fantastic So, uh, I also give this a four out of five. It seems to be a common score. Um, I'm a fan. I think this is a very good film. I thought this was a very good film for quite a while. I've watched this many times over the years and always enjoyed it. And uh, now, in our current predicament, uh, it's obviously much more relatable, as you can see, because of the fact that this is the number one rated movie in the world. Uh, on, on IMDb at least, which is incredible, is that I think that really only the current number one movie at the box office usually holds that, which is makes sense because um, unfortunately there are no movies really playing in the theater right now, which is, I, I know, something that Nick at least could speak to as being a uh, really terrible time is theaters are already struggling as it is and now they're basically forced to close and seeing way more on demand which makes sense but at the same time uh, is, is a really icky spot to be in for an industry that was struggling to begin with 
we really quickly, not that we're going to or we should, but we could literally do an entire episode on first impressions of how uh, studios have handled the virus. Uh, and I'd be curious to know what you guys would think about like whether $20 for a new release uh, on your couch is worth it or not. But but yeah, no, it's, it's a whole ever-changing thing, and we'll see what happens uh, in three months or so. Yeah, sure, I'd be down for that. I'd be down for that, too, if you guys don't mind. I think the way that the industry, I mean, of course, many industries, but the film industry in particular has had to shift so much, I'm sure, is making a lot of people quake, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're all just having these big moves just because they don't want to lose profits. But um, the idea of these smaller budget films going on demand I actually don't think is really a bad idea. I think the idea of the novelty of it, I think the $20 price point is probably too high especially for movies like The Hunt or something like that but um, if you could get a movie that I was somewhat interested in, I would absolutely pay right now $20 to watch it with myself and my wife some evening if it was something that I was interested in that was a first run film. Okay, before I continue or respond, or anybody does, um, Alex, did you have any last thoughts on Contagion? Because I'm yeah. totally game to like talk about this for 10 minutes or so after uh, you wrap that up, if that's cool. Yeah, so uh, yeah, let me do that, and then okay. we can uh, chat more about it, because cool. this, this is a good topic. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm a fan of Contagion. I think it's a very good film, and I think Steven Soderbergh doesn't really make films that aren't good. Uh, I have won films of his like side effects that I think are not great, but at the same time, um, he usually almost always does good work and it was no different here. Uh, this film has really solid pacing as Nick was alluding to, and also has great character and character detail, uh, as moved throughout. Um, and I think the one thing about it that, uh, is, trait of humanity and especially a trait of humanity in situations like this that are somewhat unprecedented uh, especially for this group of people that are currently living um, is that people just do things people either make mistakes or they don't know how to deal with this or they just Hello. Hello. Did we lose Alex? Hello. I think Hello? he either muted himself or we he lost. Oh shit! Did, no way. Did he mute oh, no. himself? Did, did it? My 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 whole thing I just said go. Well, you got through almost all of it, but yeah, I think toward the very end there you muted yourself. Um, okay. You played so, yourself, so, man. So so what was the last thing you guys heard? <laughs> oh, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, well, um, you were talking about teacher calling somebody else. <laughs> Nobody was listening. I mean, I was. Uh, it was just I was so enthralled that. Um, I agree with Nick. I'm okay. sorry. My my neighbors, my upstairs 
neighbors are being very, very loud. And I'm pretty sure there's a group of more than five people that are up there right now. Which oh, means they're not you should go distancing. up there and say something. I don't want to do that. I want them to just be quiet. Do you have a, Anyways, do you have a broom? Yeah, so I'll, I'll just finish up, uh, I guess, even if I repeat myself because I don't know where I was cut off. Well, but I think this is it. a really good film uh, on humanity and showing what people would really potentially do in this situation, whether it be good or bad. And uh, I'm, I'm a fan of it. I think it's very good, and I give it four out of five. Excellent. Very cool. Yes. So moving on to uh, just uh, the general, which we kind of got off on talking about movie theaters and just movie companies in general. Uh, I, I know, Nick, you have lots of thoughts, and I do as well, but I guess why don't you just start and give a little more further detail on your thoughts on what's transpired over the last month and a half or so. Absolutely. Uh, I'll give like a 30-second uh, recap in case you're not paying attention to it, because there are more important things uh, going on in the world, but... Um, there are certain studios that are releasing movies, uh, that, uh, are, have either already came out when they were, like, just before things went on shutdown, something like, uh, Ben Affleck's The Way Back, and it, it was in the middle of his theatrical run, uh, or movies that are not yet released that are basically going to get home releases and they are making deals with all these streaming services whether it be amazon voodoo kind of whatever streaming service you use to rent movies uh, itunes whatever um and they're charging twenty dollars to rent it um when you rent it you have i think 48 hours to watch it from the moment you click play and i think you have it for like a week um if you don't click play basically um uh, so far, as someone who goes to the movie theater regularly, uh, so I am not one to not spend money and throw it at, uh, you know, movies, and as someone who uh, still buys movies, whether it be digitally and uh, physically especially, uh, so far, not impressed. Um, all it is doing is turning me off of watching movies that I was only vaguely interested in, whether it would be something like The Hunt, which I did want to go see, but I don't want to pay $20 for. Um, and so far, the only thing that's even remotely tempted me was uh, like Birds of Prey just launched this week, but that's $20 to own, and they were just releasing that early, and so I, I'm kind of an outlier from, I think, the average Joe, because I'm still buying movies, but I don't care how many people are on the couch um, that can potentially split the price at $19.99 uh, to to basically watch the movie once on your couch. It just doesn't really do it for me. That doesn't mean that if they were releasing something like the new Fast and the Furious movie, I wouldn't do it, but that's because it's reserved for the thing that I, no matter what, feel like I have to see. Like, I already put investment into it because I know I like it, um, but I'm not spending $20 to see if I like a movie. Uh, and yeah, I know, uh, for a lot of people, a trip to the theater can cost that and can cost even more than that. But that's also a trip to the theater. Um, it's a bigger screen. It's a dark room. Like, it, there, In my opinion, you're paying for an actual experience. Uh, 
paying twenty dollars to watch it and maybe get interrupted by my mom. Like <laughs> it's just I I don't know. It's just uh I just think so far the price point is really pricing me out of giving it a test run because now there's about five or six movies that are available in this format and I have not been tempted to do any of them. I am uh, Oh sorry Ox. Hey, go, go ahead man. I am uh actually fiercely when it when it comes to like uh this new occurrence of studios releasing home edition uh releases of films early in light of the the coronavirus i'm with nick in the same regard that like that's that's nice and all but i don't want to pay twenty dollars just to like either own a film or to maybe like rent it like to watch it once like i already do that sometimes but i really would prefer to like watch a film in a theater but that's just not an option right now what i'm deeply concerned about is the the possibility that some theaters may just not open up again uh when the coronavirus um like passes when we've passed beyond this moment because i just i i remember reading an article about like the closure of certain museums and how because of the lack of like the lack the lack of foot traffic from people who are just like staying at home because of the coronavirus, a lot of those museums are not going to ever open up again, like ever, like so they're they're just done. And I wonder if that's going to happen, not just to um, like theater chains. I'm not worried about AMC. AMC like they're gonna knock off maybe like a couple of of theaters at most, but they'll still be around. I'm talking about like niche theaters. Like I. I care about the music box. I don't, I want to make sure that that's okay. Like I, it, it's it, no, it, no, it, it worries see, me. Places like the music box, though, in my opinion, will be okay <clears throat> because they have plenty. They have they have a niche in a place where they will have plenty of people who will come back as soon as they're open again. Oh yeah, I'm gonna be. There. I, I, I agree with you, though, Toussaint, because I think that there are lots of theaters, especially in smaller areas, maybe rural areas, that if they're not part of a chain, who knows if they can survive this? I mean, can they survive the fact that it could be a slow comeback? We are on the other side of this, where specialty theaters like Music Box, I think, will have plenty of willing participants as soon as they open again. I'm just thinking of, like, that one uh sorry sorry nick i was like i'm just thinking about that one theater that we go to prominently in uh st charles that is like basically the last vestigial living part of a of a once alive now dead mall and i'm just wondering what's gonna happen to that is this gonna be the thing that finally throttles that building and then it's just gonna be this this giant like piece of real estate that nobody wants to touch anymore yeah, I mean, I will say that that was definitely the first thing I had thought of when all this was starting was about who was in danger. And for me, it was definitely, yeah, my own home theater, not because it's uh, it's not a repertoire theater and it's not a part of a national change, but uh, it's only a part of a local change. There's only three or four locations, I think, uh, that are franchised all within a hundred mile radius of each other. And while they've been doing pretty good business just at the normal movie theater because they do attract a lot of people from next town over and whatnot, um, 
they're kind of on the outside when it comes to like AMC and Regal, uh, who, in my opinion, are offering just the worst kind of service as movie theaters. You know, like we only go to them uh, as like a collective group when the movie we want is not showing the correct showtime or even the movie uh, in our own hometown, which is uh, these days not that often, but certainly happens frequently enough. And every time we go there, it's like we're paying way more money uh, and, in my opinion, getting a lot less quality service. Um, But, yeah, it's definitely a weird time, and I'm pretty uncertain about, you know, uh, what's going to happen, like which doors are going to reopen, which ones aren't. I do think Alex is probably right about something like the music box, which is not to say that they don't need donations or support or anything like that, but because at least there are repertoire theaters that are going to be in trouble, uh, but there are at least a dozen or so across the entire country that are basically nationally recognized, and the music box is one of them. Uh, as, you know, an actual attraction for film fans. I mean, it says a lot that I live over an hour away and I've gone there multiple times to go see a movie. So um, while I think they're going to be okay, there's going to be a lot of repertoire theaters that are already uh, away from certain uh, populated areas that were just hanging on by the grace of God and the small community that it, you know, provides for. But now unfortunately are going to take a huge hit and may never recover from and that's too bad because there are chains like amc and regal that are pretty much going to get out of this scot-free um uh, unless the studios are going to make it even difficult for them and that's like a whole other issue we'll see um I agree with everything everyone has said so far about this. I will say, on the plus side, um, the drive-in theaters that are open during this time um, have seen a slight peak in business, which I think is pretty great. Um, But in the blurb that I also saw is... um, Revenue from drive-in theaters aren't counted toward box office figures, which I thought was very strange. Um, That's bizarre. It is. It's it's very bizarre, and I didn't know that happened. Um, especially because when I saw is, is it... That, huh? is, is that because you cannot count the actual amount of people that are going for a ticket sale? I, I honestly don't know why, because, uh, I mean... What I was going to say is that when I saw It Chapter 1 at the the drive-in, um, the drive-in closest to me, which was a big deal that they were showing it because at the time they hadn't shown like an R-rated film in ages. Um, like when you go to the drive-in, you still pay per person. So it's not like you're paying for like the the people in a car that let's say two to a car they're not paying the same price as like four to a car you still pay per person so i don't i don't know what it is that's that's a very thing yeah but it is um because uh, at least the one nearest me which is now unfortunately closed they always had a double feature no matter what so maybe that's part of it too i'm not sure that's a oh that's a good point the double features but yeah the one closest to me they always do double features um so but 
Yeah, what I will say is that not only is this affecting, like, the films that were slated to release, especially in now what is going to be the second quarter and the third quarter coming up after that, which is a huge um, portion of the film business as it is, um, that's going to affect a lot because, I mean, they count on those first weekend figures and like movie productions are no joke as everybody here knows i'm not really saying anything novel but like hundreds of thousands of people depend on releases being successful or at least like moderately present so it it really worries me because i saw i saw a tweet that was like list the last movie you saw in theaters because that could be the hill that you die on and the last film that i saw in theaters was sonic the hedgehog so not that it was bad because i really did like it but <laughs> my my <laughs> last to think about my last movie was uh invisible man which you know I, it wasn't the kind of film that uh that i'm willing to die on a hill for but as, as far as like last films before like the wake of the coronavirus um I enjoyed it. I really, I really did enjoy it. What I did not enjoy was my theater-going experience, which really sours this whole note because some stupid little kid was like, like, playing with his phone and like using the the flashlight and like playing uh, Fortnite emulators with like a, 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 a an Xbox One controller. And I just, oh, I wish I just slapped that controller out of his hand. But yeah, it's like it, it's. Really? Clearly, nobody taught him etiquette, which is also oh. infuriating. Oh my god! Like it, uh, it, it's just a double-edged sword because now I can't go see movies, but at least I don't have to deal with these shitty people ruining my movie experience. <laughs> so here's what I'll say about this: I feel like I'm a huge fan of the theater experience, so I am obviously bummed of this current situation and then the potential going on. I've been leading the charge probably for longer than most people that studios for these mid-range films, not the blockbusters, because they could never recoup their budget um, in a video-on-demand setting. But for these smaller-tier studios, I mean, this was the way to go. Like, this is a novelty right now, and maybe they won't get the same amount they would, but... Something like The Hunt was never going to do big numbers at the box office anyways. So just having it video on, on demand release uh, it, in this time, you're getting a much larger audience, potentially. People are willing to spend the money. Um, and if there were releases coming out that I was interested in, I would definitely pony over the dough. But for theaters, it's a real, it's a real bummer because this is such a tough time for them in general with everything happening with Netflix and Amazon Prime. Um, Hulu has launched this huge campaign here this year where they are really um, aggressively trying to get people to come and watch things on their platform. Obviously, there's a lot involved with them with Disney and Disney Plus, but um, there's so much more for people to watch at home now um and just adding the coronavirus into that uh is unfortunately going to be a death sentence for a lot of theaters especially ones that aren't a chain which as we've been talking about is a real shame i agree and it's and it's a damn shame it's like 
foregoing like actual physical like theater experiences even during like a pandemic like I just can't imagine not having the option to to see a film in a, in, in an actual theater like it just it, it really it really does break my heart um yeah yeah the I, don't only... have, I, oh. I don't I don't have anything else to say go on Nick Oh, I was just going to say the only positive, uh, I should say, movement I've seen uh, has been handling uh, movies that were pretty much done with a theatrical run, but speeding up their uh, uh, impending arrival to streaming service. For example, like I was actually tempted the other day to watch Frozen 2 on Disney+, Plus because Disney+, Plus moved up the date that it was supposed to release on Disney Plus by like 30 days just because they knew everybody would be at home. And I feel like that's the kind of decisions that should be uh, being made is like more thoughtfully curate the streaming services that we already have and we're already putting money into uh, to better utilize the catalog and for what people actually want to see, especially when we're already, you know, past the threshold of whatever they really would have made in the theater. Uh, so that's one of the only few bright spots that I've seen. But, uh, yeah. Um, Alex, I was going to ask you really quick. Is the last movie you saw in the theater, was that with me? Was that Ben Affleck's The Way Back? It was, and I feel like that was not Beautiful. the last weekend, but that was, you know, that was before, just before the end of when things were either a not getting released or people just weren't going to the theater. So yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. That, that was, you know what? That, that was not that bad. That was actually pretty good. The movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'd agree. But you know, here's another just funny tie into what we're doing here. Um, it's a movie my mom would absolutely love. And she noticed that it was, uh, you know, arriving on uh, the VOD whatever and she's like oh we should rent that this weekend and she was assuming that it was going to be like 10 bucks I'm like nope it's 19.99 and she was like is it worth that and I'm like I mean no like you're not not going to like it but we have a million other movies we could watch <laughs> like I don't I don't know what the answer is to that yeah if if again like if it, and I know that we had this discussion before, Nick. Just if what what would it take to get you interested? And in? I know you're saying it's like major movies that you would want to see in the theater, but like I think it would actually be perfect poetic justice, uh, not justice even, but it would perfectly be if New Mutants just didn't even get a theatrical run and just got released video on demand because that movie's been stuck in this hellscape for the last three years now um but i would absolutely pay the 20 dollars to watch that at home and, and have it be almost like an event in this really um what will be memorable time uh and just to say here's this movie that was just a disaster in terms of getting released and now it's going to be video on demand but so many so many movies have already just said nope i mean fast and the furious Moving their their release back a whole year that was that hurt um, that hurt a lot. I agree. That was something. Well, and they're one of the few. I agree with you, Toussaint, because I've 
personally been looking forward to New Mutants for ages, and the hell that it was caught in is just so saddening to me. Yeah, um, with the Fast and the Furious. Oh, what? Sorry, uh, I know this... (laughs) I'm, well, let's let's go back to, to Fast and Furious, but I just wanted to make this joke because I saw um, somebody make a jokes a are Dr. always Manhattan good meme. when you preface them by saying you're gonna make a joke. Sorry, sorry. Like I, I like <laughs> talking about New Mutants because I, I actually forgot about New Mutants, and then I remembered somebody made a Doctor Manhattan meme where it's just like they listed off all of the release dates for New Mutants, and it's like that movie is cursed. that's pretty good it's weird though because and i know that she's not that much older but like i remember i not too long ago i saw the trailer for new mutants and also uh the movie emma which both have um what's her name anya taylor joy yes and i was like oh man like she's not that much older but they're coming out at the same time and she's clearly older now well, uh, when she uh, did Emma than when that was what's that? I was going to say the same thing with uh, the girl from um, Game of Thrones, Maisie Williams you know from the time that that movie yeah. was made to the time that that might get released, Game of Thrones has already ended and she's been in a nude scene so like, <laughs> like <laughs> that tells you about the passage of time from when it started to when it might get released at least um, so you were going to talk about Fast and the Furious? Yeah, I was going to say Fast and the Furious is a weird case because it's actually an outlier in that they're the only ones that are trying to basically bet, uh, you know, by calling their shot and actually rescheduling. And, you know, they pushed it a whole year for that reason. But everybody else has been just canceling indefinitely because I think, um, at least for other titles, they're trying to figure out do they, you know, wait until it's okay and then replace the movie that were uh, going to immediately come out with the one that didn't get to come out? Or do they leapfrog those ahead? And, you know, I mean, that's the downside of, for example, something like a Marvel Cinematic Universe is that, well, I don't think that they really fucking connect all that much. Uh, there are some people that swear by it. Uh, you know, you can't release one before the other and whatnot. And so... Um, we could be seeing the downside of that kind of uh, non-forward thinking, uh, and sh- you know, in shared universes and that kind of shit. Unfortunately, I think this actually landed perfectly for the MCU because this was a down year for them, anyways. I mean, they just had the, um, they just had the um, Black Widow movie, and then they had the Eternals planned for. November. No, I mean, this really has very limited effect on on what they're doing. They definitely somehow timed it right, which makes me think that somehow Disney is uh, in in control of the virus and this was all a way to get Black (laughs) Widow shelved. But, um, yeah. I think this is Bob Iger's last uh, call before his retirement was to release COVID 19 into the air and then just move on. Makes wow. sense to me. It's <laughs> connecting all the dots. <laughs> good. Yeah, got Ellen Crumwitty over here. That's great. Aww. Anna also has bad teeth now. That's fine. <laughs> Pepe Sylvia. Pepe Sylvia. What? It's a joke from. It's, it's, a, it's a joke. 
Yeah, it's from Always Always Sunny when uh. uh yeah, Pepe Silva. Yep. Yeah. It's the meme. It's the episode with the meme of Charlie and the red string on the the cork board. He does the whole. Never watched an episode. Conspiracy. No idea what you guys are talking about. Well, that's. A oh, shame that's a good one, you, Alex. Alex. You should watch that now. Yeah, you should. I can't actually wait for like season fourteen or something when we get the gang gets coronavirus because you know that that's coming and it'll probably be a good episode actually. Oh Ooh, my god! Oh my god! We, we know it will start with Frank and somehow it'll skip Charlie for no real reason and uh, yeah, I, I can pretty much write it. So anyway. <laughs> Cool. They already had an episode where they got sick, so we'll That's see. That's true. Maybe they'll just do a sequel to that one. Yeah. I think this, the episode where they get coronavirus should be the sequel where they thought they were eating, like, human meat, but it turns out it was just, like, regular yeah. deli or something. Yeah, that would be actually pretty good. See? <laughs> oh, man. Guys, call us. Uh, guys, well... I, I think we're going to bring this episode to a close. Um, yeah. Um, Let's land for... this plane. What? What's that? Let's land this plane. I like there that expression. Go. I'm going to use that moving forward. Yeah. So in terms of coming up on our next episode, I don't think we really have any concrete plans. So we may do another episode over Skype or yeah. for however long this goes on. I think the corporate um, climate's going to change a little bit. <laughs> so so we'll, we'll see. Uh, it's kind of a week-to-week thing at this point, just as everything else is in the world right now. But um, for the most part, this has, I think, been a very... Um, fun and interesting experience as much as it can be in this time and uh definitely unique and memorable so uh look forward to whatever our next episode is whatever it will be for episode 224 um also you can always reach us at filmtankshow at gmail.com or on facebook or twitter at filmtankshow and you can find all our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com. Um, thank you very much to Anna and Toussaint and Nick for joining us. Uh, it was, uh, this is a very fun and unique experience, at least uh, for this episode. So thank you, guys. Of thank course. You. Thank yeah. you so much for having us again. I'm so glad that this all worked out logistically we'll and emotionally. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully it won't be another Mad Max episode where an hour and a half just gets flushed down the toilet. So I mean, I'm great. just trying to temper expectation by saying it should work, but this is the first time we've ever done this, so maybe nobody will hear this. We won't really know until I click stop recording. <laughs> and you know what? At least we had a good time. We all had beers, I think, so you know what? It's and that's what matters. There you go. So. Um, from everybody out there and myself, Alex Siegman, thank you very much to everybody who's listening and we'll catch up with you next time here on Film Tag.